really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby union. Today, I am so very pleased to welcome to the show a man whose credentials are so lengthy, I can't realistically fit them in this one sentence. And that man, of course, is the voice of the New England Free Jacks, Mr. Dallin Stanford. Mr. Stanford, welcome to the show, and am I, am I okay to call you Dallin? Yes, absolutely. And thanks for having me. It was uh, fortuitous. We met at the Free Jacks training a while back, and I'm glad to be able to be on with you. That was great. It was so surprising. You know, my wife and I were like, you know what? We have a day off. Uh, I have a theoretical idea of where they practice, and maybe I'll go see. And then not only did I get to see them, I got to see you today, uh, the same day, and it was just great. Yes, absolutely. It's so cool. And the cool thing about the players, too, is they, they like people coming to watch and support and things like that. And I think that's the great thing about Major League Rugby and Rugby in the U.S. particular. The Free Jacks is obviously one of the teams is the support base, the community and the fans that come out of the woodwork and, and cheer on their team. It's awesome. Yeah, the, it's, it's something I've definitely discovered about the Free Jacks in particular, but I think it's true for all of Major League Rugby. If, you know, if you're into rugby, you want to talk rugby and they're there for it. And they, they love the fact that there's fans and there's people who they want to talk to. And everybody was so welcoming, so kind that day. It just said a lot to me about the organization. So when, when I look at their website, in fact, I, I see currently your job title is listed as the voice of the Free Jacks, which almost has like a mystical quality to it. I, I wonder, do, do you occasionally feel yourself becoming more and more disembodied? You know, it's so funny because they were like, what should your title be? And the, uh, the other folks involved are the ambassadors, you know, which is great. But because I was doing more things with them, um, generally player interviews and coach interviews and things like that, uh, they kind of felt that was kind of more appropriate. Mm. I tell you what, I, I do, I, I, you know, I like you, I love rugby and being around people who are involved in the sport. And so, yeah, it's just so great that, you know, a few years ago, growing up here in the US, you know, as a young rugby player, I suppose 25 and, and up, there was no way, obviously, professional rugby was happening. And then finally right. it came about. So the day I left Los Angeles to move to New England uh, was the day LA joined, actually, Major League Rugby, which is really, oh. really funny. So I was like, oh, well, I'm leaving the place. I'd spent 15 years living with my wife. And now, now where am I going? And we ended up in New England, which is great, because, of course, the Free Jacks are here just a stone throw away. So we went at least from one place that had rugby to here now. Well, I mean, obviously that whole thing with LA, it didn't work out. You know, the, that team hasn't been any good and they haven't found any success since then, obviously. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's, it's really great. I'll tell you what's so funny is be able to commentate the different games from AJ Gregby too. And obviously knowing New England, the, the players in depth and the coaching staff, it really adds a bit of flavor and spice to mm. it. And of course, as a commentator, your one primary job also is to be impartial. So and that's the great thing is I don't, it doesn't matter to me who wins and that doesn't matter if, if if they're playing good rugby that's the best thing for a commentator because it's exciting to commentate and of course having the backstories it doesn't matter who's on the field uh, you can always bring those to light you know how many hours a week you know do you spend just doing research just getting bios of these different players that you're going to see and prepping yourself for all the matches you're going to cover in a weekend yeah good question so a lot of people think you know the the broadcasters really just arrive and talk rugby on the day and that's kind of all they do it's far from that yeah uh, i'm no a full-time yeah no ways i'm a full-time broadcaster and so basically 
I, and even before when I wasn't, I'd spent the time and energy to make sure I could be as prepared as possible. And so I would spend four days prepping for a game. And in those four days, it'll be going through every single player. Well, the players in the squad, right? So the 46 players that are going to feature on the weekend, going through the coaches' backgrounds, going through the officials, going through the stadium, going through the history between the two teams, the, where they are in the league, you know, the, the reference points and things like that. So if any audience member tunes in, hopefully if they're watching a game I'm doing, they get a good sense of where the league is at, where these teams are at, mm. what's coming, what's happened in the past, um, you know, and, and a lot of detail about the players. Some commentators prefer just to call the action, and that's great. I prefer to try add information on the players where possible. And I tell you, that's where Doug Coyle has been fantastic oh. because his website that has the information on the players is where I go to find it because unfortunately, Major League Rugby doesn't seem to have the resources to help us out and get that information from sure. the team. So, Doug, I want to shout him out. He really is uh, he's amazing. What is it? It's Doug Coyle, did you say? Doug Coyle, exactly. Doug Coyle, yeah. So his, his, his website, uh, uh, I'll, I'll pull it up. It's DJ Coyle, I think it is what it is. But uh, he's oh, got sure. a... a a roster of every single player in the major league rugby and a lovely little background about each player. Um, I don't know where he finds the time or energy to yeah. kind of pull that out. Yeah. But um, so yeah, to answer your question, it's a full week of prep. Uh, and then what people don't, what they don't uh, think about also is that once the game's done, then you switch across to the next weekend, what you're doing. And for me, I switch across between sevens world series and major league rugby. So hmm. that's a whole different kettle of fish because Sevens World Series uh, in, in next, not this weekend, but next weekend I'd go to Vancouver. And so that's 16 men's teams from around the world. And those are, you know, this is a global audience. Right. So your prep needs to be, you know, it needs to be just as sharp uh, because you're going out to any anybody supporting those those teams playing, which is a, a, it's, it's a thrill, but it's a lot of work as well. Well, I'm already way off my own script here. But, <laughs> but, but when you're, you know, how much of a difference is it for you professionally doing 15s versus seven as a commentator? Like sevens happen so fast. Do you feel like you're under the, you know, behind the eight ball a little more, or is it like just a little easier because there's just simply less time to fit in your comments? Like uh, it's hard for me to imagine the difference. Yes. Yes, exactly. So let me, let me think out loud here. So a 15 aside game, why, the, the, the nice thing as a commentator is it's predictable in, as you said, it's 80 minutes. You're going to sit down. You're going to really get into the game. You're going to get to know the players and the good thing I will suppose is by doing a league often like MLR is that after a few weeks, you don't even look down at your sheet of paper anymore. You just call what's in front of you and you get to you name the players by name just because you can see who they are. Now, yep. I will say that we were doing them remotely. So this is very difficult because you're calling it from a screen. Traditionally, when you're at the stadium, you know, you're you're close to the action enough where you can see the players, you can see what their full bodies look like, um, mm. you know, if they're wearing a headgear or something distinguishing factor or, uh, you know, a little rat tail in their hair or some, some style like that, you also can <laughs> see the full field vision, but from a little screen, it is very tough, but yeah, I, I would say that 15 aside is probably a bit easier because you can really get into the game okay. and that sort of thing where where sevens now this is this is when you're covering the whole sevens tournament it's hard because you have so many different teams and playing hardly, on the day hardly right? any break in between them too Ex exactly and now the world series they, they do a good job of obviously breaking it up so you sound fresh and excitable every time you call but at the okay. same time don't forget there's pressure moments here in sevens where somebody breaks free and scores and they're going to obviously do it very quickly and you need to id the player now often you can't see the jersey number and mm. again you might you'll be at the stadium but they'll be quite far away and things happen very quickly so 
those things you feel a bit more under pressure to call a name out. Because again, you don't, if you don't know the player, you won't say anything. But I find that's a bit of a letdown, me as a broadcaster, because I want to mm. be sure to name everybody that scores. To so give them the credit and give them the recognition. Sure, their names can be fonted later after sure. they score. But as the, as the lead voice, you want to be able to say who it is. So there is a bit more pressure, I'll say, with the sevens. And obviously, there's high stakes because this is an international audience. Well, you know, you've already spoken to it in a way. And, you know, I really want my listeners to appreciate the rugby life that you have led so far. I mean, it, it's been it's been a winding path, I think it's fair to say, that, that you've trodden in order to get here where you are now. You've played alongside Springboks. You've coached teams to gold medals. Uh, before lending us your dulcet tones in the uh, in the MLR, you were selected for USA Rugby Sevens by uh, I think it was by head coach Al uh, is it Caravelli in two thousand six. Yep, and uh, it, I, I discovered it as a halfback. You played in twelve Sevens World Series events from two thousand seven to two thousand nine. You were a traveling reserve for the two thousand nine Sevens uh, Rugby World Cup in Dubai. You were a commentator for the HSBC Rugby uh, World Rugby Sevens Series, America's Rugby Championship, World Rugby Under 20s, and Rugby World Cup 2019. I mean, is there anything rugby related that you can't do? Uh, you know, it's it's so remarkable coming from South Africa, which is a rugby mad country. You know, I've, I was obviously obsessed with the sport and wanted to play as much as I could, but also just working in the sport. And there weren't many opportunities back then mm. in rugby in general. It was barely professional, you know, in 95. And so, um, you know, I got a chance to witness Nelson Mandela unite South Africa as a divided nation due to uh, the Rugby World Cup. It was an unbelievable, you know, you gives me goosebumps to this day. I was not only there, I was at the games and... You know, I was obviously a young South African. I was, uh, let's see, 16 years old. Wow. And I will, I, you know, never forget how, you know, some South Africans feared for their lives early on because, you know, the, there was a new government, yep. a new switch in power. And, and you know, the transgressions of the, um, you know, the National Party, the predominantly white South Africans were very fearful. My parents were, you know, very positive about the outlook of South Africa. And so the nice thing is we went to mixed schools as a young kid. So, mm. you know, I, I grew up in a traditional situation where, you know, the apartheid era was one generation before me. And so seeing that what rugby and sport could do really inspired me to to really fall in love with the sport, um, not only for the game, but what it can do off the field. And so with that in mind, coming to the USA, when I got a chance to work with um, inner city kids in Los Angeles through Play Rugby USA, which is a wow. New York born program, but they had an office in LA and I headed up that program. That was a dream come true for me because I could see firsthand the power of sport, how these, these young kids might not have had many role models in their lives and how flag rugby, which is obviously the safest version we can have of rugby, sure. Um, the, pa the parents were put at ease, um, young boys and girls playing co-ed often, um, really, really taught them a lot of great values about the game through that non-contact sport. So it, it's come, I feel like I've come full circle from That's the young amazing. kid there. And then, and then to commentate, so this is another goosebump moment. So in that 95 World Cup, um, the most iconic player for South Africa, because he kicked the winning drop goal to beat New Zealand, was Joel Stransky. Yep. So I got to chance to tour with him for 30 days in Japan as my color commentator. We were oh. side by side for a month together in, the, in Japan for the Rugby World Cup as commentators. Oh, and so word. like, I mean, I, there I'm just sitting, having a, a beer with him at night or having breakfast him, with him at the hotel. I'm thinking to myself, this is just so surreal. This is the same guy that did that in that iconic time of South Africa. And here we are just chatting, catching up, talking rugby and, and obviously becoming friends uh, since then. So uh, yeah, it, it, there's been many full circle moments that I've pinched myself, but it's all because the sport of rugby providing opportunities. You know, if you do good work, you're passionate about it, you love it, you're in it for the right reasons, success will come to you in, in different forms.
That's amazing. And the, the thing you're talking about with, you know, seeing kids go from sort of the, the bottom up into this level, we're talking about Sia Khaleesi right there, the, the MVP of the, the World Cup where you got to commentate. Can you believe it? Exactly. No, there's so many beautiful stories like that. And I think often, you know, we forget, you know, regular lives, how the power of sport can really make a difference in one's life, you know. And so I think that's so amazing. And that's honestly why rugby, and again, it's such a great sport. So coming to America, I only came with a pair of rugby boots. I had one friend that lived in California and he introduced me to the rugby, rugby club. And, you know, then I had 30 friends. I got a second, I got a job, a secondhand car, and there I was off to the races. Wow. That's incredible. It's funny too. You, you talk about the, the power of rugby and how it's just different. And, you know, I don't know why I thought of it, but the, this most recent world cup, when the Canadians got their match canceled because of the, the hurricane and the, the city was devastated and they're devastated emotionally because their match is canceled. They can't even play. So what did they do instead? They went outside and helped clean up. Yeah, that was a beautiful story. And, and you're so right about that. Um, you know, and that's the great thing is that it's not just one country and it's not just a set group of people. People all over the world do beautiful things through the sport, of, through any sport, but particularly through rugby, you know, because that's a sport we're close to and we're aligned to. But those Canadian players, the fact that they did that, I, I remember seeing the news. It was just heartwarming and amazing. And there's so many good, powerful stories like that that come through. And here, even at home in MLR, if you look at the different communities, obviously you're part of the one here in New England. I mean, it is so great. Obviously, COVID was tough you couldn't really get out and do things um, but now there's a lot of things happening in the communities which is so great and some of them are player-led and some of them of course are franchise-led so of course while i was doing my admittedly sort of half-assed research uh <laughs> one one thing that particularly caught my eye was this quote down stanford represented team usa at the 2013 world uh, i hope i pronounced it right the maccabiah games in israel uh, it went on to say you captained the USA rugby squad to gold in sevens and bronze in 15s and were named MVP of the inaugural sevens tournament. I mean, did I even read that right? Did you play for a sevens team and a 15s team and just crush it the whole time? Is that real? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so this is a, a pretty interesting story. So the, 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 the Maccabee games is every four years, like the okay. Olympics, but it's for Jewish athletes. Right. And so the, the, the interesting thing is I grew up in a Christian family, but um, my mom's side of her family are Jews. And so they weren't, you know, Orthodox Jews, but they still came from a Jewish bloodline. And so technically my, you know, my, my ancestry, my roots, you know, I'm, I'm more Jewish than I am anything else, right. From you, my mother's side. You were automatically and, and, qualified. And, well, ex exactly. And so, so while I didn't grow up and, and, and go to temple or anything else like that, the coach called me up and said, Dallin, listen, we know that your, your mother was a Levine was her last name. You know, you don't get more Jewish than Levine. And you, would you, and, and this is the great thing, you know, Israel do a really good job. It's called Israel Connect. And they bring people back to the, to the homeland, um, you know, people that have some affiliation or some connection, like I do through my bloodline, you know. And so sure. they bring you back through the, through the auspices of sport. And then when you get there and if you have a great time and, you know, want to, want to stay there or you just want to, you know, again, connect with your culture and your history and your background, it's an unbelievable experience. Wow. So, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't even know I could go. But my uncle went, okay, on my mother's side in 19, I want to say 81 or 82. And, and wow. he played rugby and he won a gold medal for South Africa. And that was the first time rugby was played at the Maccabee Games. And so I remember the story because growing up as a youngster, I was always, you know, looking out for my, my uncles and aunts and what sports they did and that sort of thing. And, and one of them led me to find this gold medal. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. So there I am, 35 years later, I go and represent the USA. And not only that, as you 
said, I was fortunate enough to be captain. We got to play in the first sevens ever tournament they held because normally it's 15s. Okay. We won gold. Uh, we had a remarkable team. We had Kevin Swern on that team, a fellow USA Eagle. Wow. We played together. That test would have been on our side, but the week before at the Sevens World Cup, he broke his thumb. And so he was helped, he helped the coaching side of it. So he would have played with us. It would have been amazing. Um, wow. but still we we ended up winning gold um and uh, and then bronze in the 15 aside tournaments, which happened a few days later. And believe me, our legs were absolutely gassed from doing sevens and then switching to 15s. Um, but it was it was a surreal experience to be connected by people that shared a Jewish background. And so that was unique. I've never been on a team that had any any realm of that uh, in my life. And so uh, to go around for a week and go to the famous historical sites in, in Israel, around Jerusalem, and, you know, get that proper on-the-ground education as well, um, what, what you know, the people of our past had been through was, was truly remarkable. And those ceremonies, opening ceremony, had 40,000 people. There was a video screen. Barack Obama played a message because he was a president at the time. So, like, it was, it's a legit event where a lot, of, a lot of people don't know about it, but there were over, you know, almost 100 countries represented. Uh, uh, 9,000 athletes. It is a massive deal. So um, wow. it was it was truly amazing. The Maccabee Games is is a big deal. And then every in between that, every every four years as well, there is the Pan American Maccabee Games. So I got a chance to go to Chile, oh. um, and 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 I came as the coach, assistant coach uh, of the team. But in the first game, in 15 aside, there were a lot of injuries, and the other coach that I coach with says. Dallin, I know you brought your boots uh, and you're only going to help us out in the sevens, but can you get onto the field right now? So literally at halftime, I went on and I was played fullback for them. And uh, we ended up winning a silver medal and we won gold in sevens as well. Oh so that word. was uh, another amazing experience. So that, that's me for when I was retired. So the boots came up. <laughs> uh, so how many times a day do you just look around and go, wait, this is obviously an illusion. I'm just imagining this whole thing. None of this has ever actually happened. This is way too unreal. Yeah, well, I t- I, so like I'll tell you what, I was very blessed as a young kid. Obviously, I had brilliant parents that were, you know, that they were able to give me the tools to tell me I was able to succeed in anything I do. They, my dad was quite a big proponent, of course, of you want education. And he said, listen, Dallin, I know you're going to work in rugby one day. While there aren't many opportunities right now, make sure you, you know, study what you want to study. And so you have that as a, as a backdrop to, you know, so you always have it. So that I think was good advice. But I've always been an extremely positive person who knows that anything is possible if you, as I was saying, if you have a good outlook, you always look at the positive things. You obviously improve and work really hard Mm. at things. Good things will come to you. Opportunities will happen. But it's also how you perceive those opportunities. So just because you go for a big role or, or you don't make the team or you get cut or you get injured, those things, obviously, you could easily, you know, fall into a bit of a depression. But if you're able to see the positive in every situation, then Mm. you can make something good out of everything. And then that attracts more good things. And then you know, that's, you know, you, you sometimes perceive people that have a lot of luck. Uh, and a lot of that is putting themselves in the right place at the right time. But at the same time, it's them taking every opportunity yep. and realizing that, you know, if you do good in the world, good will come back to you as well. You're speaking my language, my friend. The, the, uh, those are the very words that helped me sort of turn around my own life when things got pretty dark at some point. Um, of course, on top of all of these things we've already mentioned, I saw you either you either are or were the director of sports partnerships for the Friends of the British Council or working with Premiership Rugby on their corporate social responsibility program in the USA. Um, is that still a thing or can you tell us about that? Yeah, so that, that was a, a lovely project um, that I worked on. It's now been put on pause because of the pandemic and traveling sure. and, and things like that. But this program was really so a couple of things about, you know, a lot of people ask rugby players that have been around in the US a, lo- a long time. Number one, the big question I get asked is, 
When will the USA 15 aside men's team be competitive to, against the top 10 sides in the right. world? That's, that's question number one. And the question number two normally is how can we help or how can you help, um, you know, increase the sport of rugby in any realm in, in America. So number one, I went to work and I told you about the youth development program. So we increased that program from, from 50 kids to 5,000 kids um, wow. in, in, in five years. And so that was a truly remarkable program. This was, Some this young was girl, the program in, in LA. This was the program in LA. Some of those kids got scholarships to university. They never would have gone to university for right. starters. Um, and, and so they got it through rugby, which is great. So so that program, I, I hope to to reconnect with and, and pick it up. It 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 hasn't it you know it kind of dropped off in the last few years, but I'm hope I'm hoping to go back, move back to LA, and kind of kick it up again, and maybe alongside the Guiltinis because um, I know that they're interested in the community as well, which would be great. But that aside, I think another big help is coaching rugby mm-hmm. IQ that needs to be passed down from coaches because there's one coach, and I remember coaching at a university, Occidental College in LA. One coach, you have a big influence. You can influence 30 to 40 players. And if you coach multiple teams or you work with young kids, you know, that one coach, if you have the right skill set and you're able to speak the right language and be able to embody rugby's values, you can create a really large impact. Mm. And so the, the the program with Premiership and Friends of British Council, which is a nonprofit that operates in the US, looking out for the interests of the British in America. Um, and that's why premiership was the was the common theme here sure. in rugby, was that why don't we send 30 coaches or 50 coaches a year from America to premiership for an in-depth week. In the week, they get to visit three premiership clubs and not only, not only visit, but they get to talk to the head coach of that premiership professional oh, wow. team. They get to spend a couple of hours with the coach, a couple of hours with the strength and conditioning expert, uh, with the um, all the different facilities they've got available, mental skills, all those different things. Then at the same time during that week, they go to some historical sites and go to some, some rugby games, right? But then they take in their level 300. Uh, coach certification, which is a big one to take and a difficult one. So they get that tuition um, by a qualified USA rugby, um, you know, coach educator that is partnered wow. with the English English RFU. So the program was fantastic. We've, we've sent 100 coaches so far across and each year the coaches can either win it or they can contribute towards our nonprofit uh, program and they can get a chance to go across as well. So we've obviously had to put on pause unfortunately since 2020, sure. uh, but we look, we're going to look to pick it up. Hopefully if we can first thing next year, but it is, I think it's a wonderful program. The coaches that have been on couldn't believe that a, that they got selected um, and all they had to do was just a short video and uh, telling us, you know, how they embody the values of rugby and how they, you know, uh, uh, put that into their community and put it in existence. Wow. Yeah, 300 hours. I don't think I can spend one hour with Steve Diamond and not just die. But <laughs> uh, so, and you, you talk about the value of, you know, getting it into the schools, getting it at a base level for the young kids. And so I was also lucky to talk to Ollie Engelhart recently. And, you know, I asked him that question I've asked a lot of people, is there a silver bullet if I was somebody with you know, unlimited pockets. Is there an amount of money I could throw at USA Rugby that would change things? And he said, no, there, there is no amount of money because it's not embedded in the schools yet. And it sounds like that's something you've, you've been a part of. Do you see growth in that area? Do you think that's working? Yes, I, I absolutely do. So in that short, well, short time period, we spent, you know, five to seven years growing that program. The biggest partnerships we were able to establish was the Los Angeles Unified School District. We had 200 schools in LA, which is one of the biggest schools uh, systems in the country. And so the fact that we went to one school showed it worked. Everyone came to watch it. We're like, okay, can we now take it to 10 schools and then 20 schools and then wow. 50 schools? And so that's how that program grew you know, exponentially and very quickly. Um, and, and so, yes, I believe you know, 
the the reason look everybody brings their own personal you know preferences to the table now and and, and background so me coming from South Africa as a five-year-old rugby was just offered to us because that's one of the main sports so growing up it was a no-brainer so I always come to the U.S. situation I'm like well if you're not picking up a rugby ball at five years old how do you expect to be brilliant at 18 or 20 right. you know and so and so I remember coaching kids for the very first time at 20 years old or 24 at college, and they'd never touched a rugby ball and they, and they played defensive, you know, tackle and football. So, you know, they never even handled it. They, you know, let alone a tennis ball, which we grew up playing cricket. So cricket, like oh. baseball, you know, you catch a ball with one hand. So your reflexes are really good. So you play all these sports, you know, to help your handle coordination and everybody's multi-sport athlete. Sure, today, I suppose people are specializing more, but I remember in South Africa, we had to do two winter sports and two summer sports. And so I did field hockey, you know, just try it out because it was, I knew okay. rugby was my main sport. And then I did water polo. I could barely swim. So that oh, wasn't wow. really great for me. <laughs> and then drowning. Hole, I ran, I ran, exactly. And then I ran track and field and played cricket. So you could do five sports if you wanted to as a young kid, all the way through to 18 years of age. And yes, you specialize in the one you like, but at the same time, you're still doing these other sports other times of the season. So number, number one, I think getting it to the school's elementary middle school is, is a non-negotiable. And again, you can start with flag rugby because it is a great, you mm -hmm. know, equalizer. Boys and girls can play together safely. Um, there's no case for being injured and things like that. But I think then if kids enjoy it and want to play in uh, as part of a tackle team, then they can parlay into their local community and play for one of those teams there. So I think that's key. And once you have that, that is base of players, you're going to naturally have a very good national team. So I know the Free Jacks have their bag of balls program now where so if I'm working with a school, I can just get in touch and they'll say, okay, and here comes a bag of rugby balls and I'll send a player and a coach and we'll come teach you some rudiments. Um, do you see the fruits of that already or is that is it too soon to see that kind of thing? Yeah, so look, I, I, I think any anytime those kind of things uh, happen, that's great. I, I think you have to also look at the longevity of, of programs like that. And I think the Free Jacks are great because they're here. They're staying in the community and they'll be here. So yes, I, I, I see some of the fruits of that labor. I haven't personally been out to those sessions yet, probably mm. number one, because I've been so busy traveling. But number two, as you as we know, the, you know, in 2020 and 2021, a lot of that wasn't happening. I went to some right. of the, um, the, the, the weekend clinics they held. They were a huge success. The mm. kids that came there, the young boys and girls, you know, there was 50 to 100 kids at every single session and wow. they loved it. They just loved playing. I mean, that's the cool thing about kids. You want to do something you enjoy with your friends. And so if it's something new and something exciting as well, I think that's really cool. That's probably one of the takeaways I, I, I forget about the, you know, working in inner city LA. A lot of the kids came to, you know, the rugby because they were interested because it's new and they, they hadn't any preconceived oh. ideas. They, they didn't come to going, you know what, Never I don't, I'm not good at I'm not good at baseball because I can't throw or I'm not good at basketball because, you know, I, I'm just not very good at catching or so they came to rugby going, Oh, well, we're all equal because no one's played it. So let's all give it a try. Wow. I think that was kind of cool and kind of interesting. So, you know, the fact that we see the free Jacks doing stuff, in the community, there's a big, a big appetite for it because kids want to try something new. Yeah, and yeah. It, and the, cool, the, the cool thing about rugby, which we know inherently the sport is that everybody gets to touch the ball. So that's cool where you look at some other sports, some American specific sports, yep. it's, very much centered around like the most skillful person who's the quarterback. That's it. You touch the ball and maybe a couple other runners, no one else. Uh, where in rugby, you know, you have to do both. You have to defend, yeah, you, have to, yeah. uh, you know, which I think equates to life as well. You have to be able to do everything. You know, you can't just have one skill set in life. You've got to be a well-rounded person in general. So yeah, I think what the Free Jacks are doing is great. The, the one thing I will add, which we had in LA, which we, they, they are getting to you, which is great, is having some element of competition 
mm. whether it's just for fun or, or, you know, you keep score. It doesn't matter how that competition actually works, but bringing schools together, bringing groups together to play against each other is really great because you get to then expose yourself to other, other cultures, other people, you know, that sort of thing. And so the jamboree type type atmosphere, the tournaments were the highlight, I think of our programs in LA because kids come all over and they're so excited because they get to wear a special Jersey that represents their school or their team. Mm, they get yeah. to be part of something really great. But I suppose the, the, the real coaching came coaching the, the parents because the parents of the kids didn't go through our program. They didn't quite know that it's all about, you know, taking part and having a great time. And, it, you know, when you do lose, how you behave and when you win, how you behave as well. And, mm. and those are very important lessons. And you don't blame the referee. And it doesn't matter if the team loses. There's going to be some, someone's going to lose every game. You know, at, at some point, they're going to lose something and something because the winners, how you pick yourself up and how you focus on the next task at hand. So those kind of like on-field, off-field lessons, I think were very important. And the parents were probably some of the ones that needed to exhibit those uh, behaviors a bit better, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> that, that fundamental principle of you're going to get knocked down. It's a matter of how fast you get back up. That seems so integral to rugby itself and it seems like such an important sort of mic you know macrocosmic life lesson it feels like yes. that's, just, that's the the fundamental thing you learn first you've hit the nail on the head there and i think that's that's how you know if you if you look at a, a, a people who play rugby they are built differently because of those types of things because mm. they've they, they've went through you know difficult times and were able to get up and were able to you know make it right where you're right i think sometimes in society if you don't play a team sport or don't aren't able to get those life lessons you're you are going to struggle later in life you know and we see it a lot these days you know uh, people feeling isolated not able to kind of uh, you know cope with with anything that's thrown at them sure. even the most basic things so you're so right i think that's why you know again there's so many reasons why we love the sport of rugby so i think if, if i'm right it was 2016 when you made your debut on comms and that was for the hsbc sevens world series that must have been a huge huge day for you do you remember that? Yes. Yeah, I do remember that day clearly. So uh, I, I started broadcasting. So after I finished playing in about 2012, I started sideline at Infinity Park in Glendale, Colorado. Oh, okay. And the and and but this is just you know for the very first time ever. I mean, I was I completely didn't know what was. I mean, I, the interviews were fine because I I always used to joke around at friends, uh, you know, uh, barbecues or brides we call them, uh, watching a rugby game. I would interview people after the game like I'm like I actually do now for a job, but I did it. I would pick up a spatula from the kitchen. I would use my shoe. I would use random objects and people would crack up and I had a little flip video and I'd film it for a laugh. So I was always interested in media, always talking uh, nonstop and that sort of stuff. So the fact that they wanted me to do sideline after I'd played was a no brainer. And so the interviews were good and easy. And then they said, okay, we want you to come into the commentary booth and try the analyst role. And then I tried that, you know, once or twice. And I found it quite tricky because you had to analyze the game on the spot and think of different ways to portray the same information over and over again. Oh, and right. for me, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't quite, it, it was great that I was involved in rugby and commentary, but it wasn't that thrilling. And then I said to them, listen, I'd like to try the play by play. That's where I know I can feel at home and more comfortable. Mm. And I know the game really well. So that's probably the easiest thing for me to do. And so that, as soon as I, do, I, I jumped into that seat, they also realized they're like, okay, this is where you need to be. And so that was 2012. And obviously, you know, we all go through learning lessons. Every game I'd listen to and I'd be like, oh, this is terrible. Uh, even the uh, tone. I was going to ask, but what was your biggest flub in those early yes. years? Did you yeah, have a, would, a major, oh, I can't believe I said that. You know, you know, there weren't too many of those. It was just more of the excitement level speaking too quickly. So the audience actually doesn't hear properly what you're saying. And that happens sure. to me these days because, 
you know, you get so excited about the game. You want to portray that. You want to be natural. And that's natural to me is to get excited and get loud. Um, I suppose, yeah, the, the early parts were, they were just sometimes awkward silences and just awkward transitions, you know, when you go into break. Mm. Now, you know, you become more polished. And also I will say the Sevens World Series has been my biggest learning lesson because I get to work with the best broadcasters around the world. And mm. so I'm sitting near them or next to them, working with them or alongside them, get to hear how they present, how they say things, um, just, you know, to rub off each other, that sort of thing. So there's no school we went to. This is the other crazy thing, which people listen to a game, you know, let's say MLR, and they're like, oh, the commentator should have done this or said this. The funny thing is, I feel for, you know, the other commentators that perhaps haven't got the opportunities I have to go learn from some of the best in the mm. world, because there's no, there's no school they've gone to potentially. Yeah, yeah. It's literally just they know the game or they sound good, or they're, they're a foreign player, boom, you're, you're a commentator now. Yeah. So Yeah, and so just so going back oh, to, to that, to that uh, um, first time ever. So I, I tell you what was so fascinating was that the Sevens World Series is such a, you know, elite small group of broadcasters that mm. go around the world to do this game. And I, I went as a player, as you mentioned earlier. So three years, I got a chance to go in the series. It was a, that was a dream come true. And I didn't know that, by the way, that I could play for America because I have a South African accent. But because uh, my, my wife's American. Believe me, nobody here knows what that accent is. Nobody knows. <laughs> exactly. So what part of Britain are you from? Yeah, exactly. That's right. You get that a lot, you know. Uh, and so because I've been here for three years and, and, and hadn't played for South Africa, that's how I got a chance to play for the USA. So mm. interesting enough, when I spoke to World Rugby about the broadcasting side of things, I told them I'd been involved with broadcasting a few times. I'd done a few USA internationals by then. And they said, listen, Dallin, this is a very unique group of people that we assemble. And you somehow ticked three of the boxes we're looking for. <laughs> we would like somebody that's knowledgeable of the North American landscape, which is me, because I've been living in North America for the last 15, 20 years. We want somebody that has played on the seven series before. So that's me. Check. And then two, we want somebody with a South African accent, if possible, <laughs> because South Africa is so good on the series. And so they said, it doesn't matter. You play for America. That's fine. But we, you know, we want, we, you tick those boxes. So yeah, it, that was phenomenal to work with legends of the game like Keith Quinn and, and then, of course, all the current legends that are involved in, in the broadcasting side of it. Surreal. Another moment where you're pinching yourself. And it was really cool because, unfortunately, since then, I have lost my, my parents uh, over the last few years. But oh. my mom and dad uh, were still around. And um, uh, and so they got a chance to, to tune in. Um, and in fact, just my mom was around at that time. So uh, and I, during one of the games, it was never forget this moment. It was really, really cool. Uh, Keith Quinn, a legendary Kiwi broadcaster, has been doing it since, you know, 1920. And uh, so during this halftime huddle of South Africa was playing a game and the coach was speaking Afrikaans to the players. And he turned to me and he said, Dallin, we've never had a South African broadcaster on the World Rugby feed with us. Can you translate that? Now, the backstory, the backstory here is my mom was an Afrikaans teacher. So in South no Africa, way. she taught, yeah, she taught for 50, 60 years. So like, I All found right. it so, so funny that he's asking me. And so I, I, I answer him, this is what they said. And he goes, wow, that's amazing. I go, well, I'd need to know what, what they said because my mom was an Afrikaans teacher and she's listening to this broadcast right now. So he even gave her a shout out. It was a very <laughs> cute a moment. Wow. And she got a bunch of a bunch of calls in Cape Town where she where she used to live and uh, all her friends were saying, hey, Dallin just spoke about you on the air. So it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as Paul McCartney might've described it, it's been a long and winding road, but here you are now. As a fan, we're very proud and, and grateful to have you here. Have you found a true home here with the Free Jacks? Yes, the Free Jacks are just a lovely community. And, and what I'll say is, you know, everybody involved is in it for the right reason. Uh, the, the values that, that the staff exhibit, the players to, you know, just going around the team, you can see the chemistry as well. Uh, it's, it's, it's a 
tough city in terms of like the weather can be very tough, obviously, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm saying that you, I'm saying mean? that coming, coming from only owning board shorts, flip-flops and t-shirts from LA to coming to this <laughs> New England storm of the weather of the winter, uh, it, it makes people a bit tougher, which is great. And you need well, that grit and you need that in, in, in rugby. I was very lucky. I got to talk to Scott Matthew uh, a couple months ago and it was, it was just before he'd actually moved here. So he was still in, in Durban, I think it was. And, uh, yes. and, uh, and I told him, by the way, when your family comes here, they're going to be asking you questions. Like they're going to sound like, why do you hate us? What have you done to us? Why are we here? <laughs> and he was like, Oh no, it's going to be fun. Yeah, then he picked December, I think it was, to move here. Great idea to move to New England. In exactly. <laughs> but I, I, te I tell you what, so my wife is actually from Massachusetts, uh, Westport, Massachusetts, towards oh. the Cape Cod area. And so we've come back every year in the summers normally. And I've had a lovely time normally for, you know, two to three weeks. So the fact that when we moved during mid of 2020 to actually to stay and live, we were stayed with uh, with the in-laws for about six months. Uh, it was just beautiful because, you know, you, you don't get to experience the the change of, of climate and seasons, sure. you know, coming from LA. And and so that was really amazing to see the fall. And, and of course, the snowfall too is, is awesome. Coming from South Africa, we don't get a lot of snow. And mm -hmm. so seeing her on the ground everywhere and, and just messing around, taking photos and videos, like I think that was just so, so cool and so unique. Yes, the winter drags on, but again, the, the we're lucky that we're able to travel a lot, and you know, especially for rugby and do other stuff like that. So we're able to get away during some of the winter. But yeah, we, we've absolutely loved our loved our time here. And even if we do leave and go back to California, it's it's mainly for my wife's work uh, to to California. Plus, I enjoy playing beach rugby. Um, mm. New England, New England community is amazing. Love the people out here, and the Free Jacks will always be in my team. Well, it's the most beautiful place on earth for like three or four days a year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, and of course, we've been sort of dancing around it. You know, obviously, I have to ask, my beloved Free Jacks, your, uh, our beloved Free Jacks, we're on top of the league. We have three table points more than our closest rivals here in the East, five more than the top team in the West. We're the only one lost team in, in Major League Rugby. Only the goofily named team from Austin has scored more points than us overall. Six of our remaining eight games are going to be at Fort Quincy, which is proving to be a very difficult place for away teams. All signs are pointing upward after a tight win in our second home game this past Saturday. And this weekend, we're back to face an unpredictable Seattle team. You know, how do you feel about the Free Jacks right now? And can you talk a bit about what you're expecting? I'm sure you've been, you've been having meetings and discussions. What are we expecting to see on Saturday? Yeah, so the, the battle against Seattle is going to be a very interesting one. Seattle have a ton of brilliant individual players. Mm. Uh, they, 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 they're way more stacked than I've seen them in many years. And so they are a very dangerous outfit. They've been inconsistent in some of their games, and that's kind of where they sit uh, at four wins and four losses. I never but know what to expect out of them week in and week out. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, so they're, they're a side that are going to be tough. Now, this is, this is the crazy thing about Major League Rugby. Last week, Nola Gold... I would not have guessed that they would be within 15 points of the Free Jacks. Mm. So the fact that they were able to come through and almost win the game, uh, you know, of course their pass floated forward near the end of the game. It just I, shows you. I, I got to ask, you, and you might yeah. not be able to even yeah. answer. You might not be allowed to answer. Did we just switch off? Did we get too much of a lead too early? Because the crowd felt that way. The crowd was like, oh, this is over. And we people stopped watching and they were talking to each other instead of watching. It felt it, dangerous long before it got dangerous. Yes, you're right. It, it, there was a, you, it, 
I mean, it was one-way traffic for a long, a long period of that game. I think what happened also is that Nola started to do, obviously, they started to get, to get some things right, uh, particularly their mauling started to work in the end. Very hard yeah. to stop that. They had a lovely breakout try by J.P. Iloff, what a great player. Yeah. Um, what, what happened with the Free Jacks, too, is that once momentum goes against you, and then also, again, you may have a couple of calls on the referee side which go against you, then it's very tough to come back in that situation. They obviously mm. had enough, you know, had enough energy and gas in the tank to finish off that game, but it was way closer than one would expect. And the, the point I bring up with that is to say that even a team like Nolo that you wouldn't expect to be in the running, and even DC last week that took New York to the death, DC so 0-7. Uh, so it, 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 it's, Seattle is a very dangerous team. I expect it to be very close. Um, uh, the Free Jacks have a lot of depth. I'm, I am concerned about the players that have got hurt uh, over the last mm. little while. I don't know the full ramifications yet of who's out and who's in, but I know speaking to Scott earlier in the weeks, you know, he said they have enough coverage, which I do believe they do. And that's why in some of the games you've seen, the Free Jacks generally haven't let off when their bench players come on. In fact, yep. they've kicked it up a gear, which is which is great. It's, it's rare at MLR level to have enough quality players that that actually happens off the bench. And so I think that's why the Free Jacks will go far. Now, I don't want to get too excited in terms of like, let's say I put on my Free Jack supporters hats because you still have to go and make the playoffs and you want to finish number one in your region. So you don't have to play the second and third playoff sure. game. You don't want to be in that situation. That's a lot of rugby to play uh, with minimum rest. Um, and so, you know, when you get to the knockout, this is the good thing. It's Free Jacks have put themselves in a brilliant position to be that number one side in their conference. And then anything happens in the knockout stages, as, as we've seen, you, you really can't predict it. And you can throw the form paper out the window when those things happen. But uh, you're right, at the halfway point, they're, they're, they're sitting very strong, particularly, as you mentioned, with those home games coming up. And even the away games, one of them is a bus journey to New York, which is great. Yeah. So from the outside looking in, just as, you know, just as an amateur looking in, the entire league seems stronger and frankly better this year. It feels like squad depth has increased across the board. It feels like fan bases are growing. There are real storylines, rivalries that are organically evolving. The level of sort of overall professionalism has really ratcheted up in the last, this, this year. Um, and these are just observations of somebody who's just a fan showing up. So do you agree with that? And what kind of things are you seeing as more of an insider that are better about MLR this year? Yeah, I think we're in a great position and, and you would expect to be just personally because some teams are entering their fifth year in existence. And so you've had five years now. You've got, you know, sure, 2020 wasn't a full season of actually playing, but again, teams were still, uh, franchise were still together and thinking about how to get better. So the great thing is what teams have done is each year they've looked at the on-field product and they've also analyze the off-field product which is just as important mm. and thought you know and, and analyze ways you know ways to get better because at the end of the day i love how alex magleby puts it he says we're in the in the entertainment industry which we are we're in the business of fun and so you're like okay well from the business of fun every interaction a fan has with the team whether it'll be online whether it'll be at the stadium you know whether it be at any of these clinics or anytime they see a free jack or, or, or the organization you know, the, those elements need to come through or the, at least the, the core values of the, of the organization. And so I think the franchise is doing a brilliant job with that. The, the, the tricky one is when you're a new side. So Dallas, you have to feel for Dallas. They've played some yeah. excellent rugby at times. And the, the, co the, the coaching thing at the last minute for them, that was just, totally. I mean, what, what an unpredictable nightmare. Well, exactly. And then a, whole, a bunch of players got injured recently in an off the field, you know, accident. And so those kind of things are tough. But again, 
they're brand new in the league. There will be, you know, a, a huge improvement next year and the year after Definitely. as well. But it, but this is the thing is that the other teams, you know, outside of a DC in terms of a, a win-loss ratio are doing really well on the field in terms of their product and mm. then off the field working in their communities. Because this is the great thing is that, you know, they're here to stay. And so they need to sink their teeth in the community and invest in it. And again, some of the owners have more money than others, which is, you know, that would happen in any professional sports. But the nice thing is that the, I think this is where the biggest asset is, the community has really rallied around their teams. And I think that's really cool. And this is probably more unique, I suppose, than, than some of the other traditional rugby playing nations where you grow up playing rugby. So you follow rugby all the time. If you look at a lot of the, you know, even super rugby or curry cup in South Africa, these stands are empty. And so that's not a good sign for the sport. It's where very MLR, strange. And I, I watched the Curry Cup and I, I'm yes. like, there's 10 people there. What's going on? It's a beautiful day. Yeah, I, I, These teams are good. You know, it, it, it's where, so because they've been, you know, producing professional rugby teams, you know, for now, you know, whatever, 30 years or more, well, the Curry Cup's been up for, you know, hundred years, but I think you get to a point where the price is potentially, you know, the ticket tickets are too uh, much. I know that that at international rugby, that was a big talking point in South Africa, particularly was that now it's, you're trying to make such a profit. You, you're now ruling out a lot of people that would have come to watch. And now mm. you've got a half full stadium. So rather fill them up at a lesser price. And then it's a great vibe and a great atmosphere. It's and better that's for the players too, I would imagine. It's better for the players. It's better for advertising, marketing, for just to get it, getting, you know, getting the uh, uh, selling tickets, the following, following time. So I think that's an issue having too much rugby on the schedule all the time is another thing too. And so a fan might not go to every single game if there's going to be, you know, 35 games a year, right? So you're going to pick mm. and choose your battles because you've got kids and you you want to do something else as well, maybe go to their rugby games. So I think that's where some of the established countries are, you know, losing out a bit. Premiership rugby has it right in terms of smaller stadiums and they tend to, you know, do well with their audience. And yeah. that's where MLR is going as well. Outside of the Coliseum, which is, and Choctaw Stadium in Dallas, which sure. are crazy sizes beautiful yeah. looking stadiums but so massive the five thousand so, seat seaters are the way to go fill those cameras. up consistent consistently and then uh, you can grow into something a bit bigger so you've already you know we've alluded to i apologize we've already gone a little past uh the amount of time you told me we we're gonna get and i have so much more to ask it's been so so phenomenal um I, you, we've already alluded to it but our incredible coaching staff this year coach matthew to me He's been phenomenal. I think he's been a game changer. I think he's the type of coach that we love here in New England, where he approaches every game differently and says, okay, what is my key to this game? Not what are we doing all year long? It's, it's a game by game. He adjusts the game plan. Um, you know, this person's going to be involved. We're going to do this differently. Um, and the support staff he's brought with him, I think has been a, and this, again, this is just me on the outside. I can, I feel like I can perceive it making a big difference in our team. Yeah, you're so right. And I think, you know, the elevations happened each year. Coach Ryan Martin, you know, brought something different to sure. the squad, you know, which which wasn't there before. And what's very interesting is he was by himself as the coach. And mm. so now spending a lot of more time, because again, it was also during the COVID time period too. So now spending a lot of time with Mike Rogers, the assistant coach and Scott Matthew, it's really cool to see them work in tandem together because they got bounced things off each other, which is so great. Even before they arrived here, they were Skype calling each other and getting behind different things. Now what Mike Rogers brings to the table, which you cannot underestimate and, and you mentioned the support staff which is true is that aggressive defensive style that yeah. often leads to an intercept try which seen Bodin Walker do it we've yep. seen uh, Mitchie uh, Wilson do it the other day yep. so those kind of things where generally you would be defending and, and conceding points you're scoring on the other side so it's a double turnaround those I think that that key area he's brought 
the the mindset as well for the players that's a that's a championship mindset that you can yeah. take through to the whole season which is great and then of course you said scott's such a critical thinker and brings so many good things to the table uh and those those different intricate plays when it comes to the forwards and then also some of the skillful things in the backs like i going to the sessions every now and again it's not like they're working on moves per se, but they're working on what's in front of them. And I think that's also, that's an important mindset thing too, is that oh. it's more about playing what you see and mm. having the tools in your gearbox, in your toolkit to be able to, okay, cool. This is what I need to do now and execute that. Now, brilliant rugby players like Bodine Walker, who played rugby since they were three years old, that, that comes naturally because they've seen yeah, all yeah. the different pictures that get presented to themselves. But well, I think for I, our I'm, young I'm American players- that, That's yeah. a New Zealand thing too, that in Europe, you, you don't have that same sense that like in, in Europe, it's more, okay, here's what we're going to do. Go execute it. In New Zealand, it's it's a, more about getting you the skills you need to react yes, to the situation. Exactly, as well. exactly. It's, it's a Southern Hemisphere thing for sure because at the end of the day too, like that's the great thing about rugby is that you do need to react because that's the point is the reason why you, you come up with certain plays and things like that is to manipulate the defense for them to give you something that you can then exploit. Mm. And so, and, 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 and the tactical kicking and, and kicking for, you know, uh, cross kicking for, you know, their wingers, which worked brilliantly this past weekend, the first three tries were all, on the boot, uh, you know, one from Harry yeah. Barlow downfield oh. to Davidowitz, and then of course uh, Bodine Walker with it the other two. So yeah, the, the 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 coaching staff is so impressed with them. Uh, Tom Kindly, I want to give him a shout out. He's phenomenal. Uh, you know, the performance manager's his actual oh. title. Uh, TK but just has general, also been kind enough to give me some time on yeah. the pod here too. Yeah, yeah. No, he he's brilliant. Just all around general, general good guy, uh, and Mister Bean lookalike as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> didn't expect that one he did <laughs> anyway <laughs> I, i'm trying to hurry up here so i can let you go you've already been so generous with your time um and of course it's high time you know that i i microwave this plate of crow that i've let get cold in front of me sitting here just now as my listeners know for you know weeks upon weeks i've been hammering the same comment over and over again which is me saying the the pronunciation of a certain player's name who we've just mentioned i am big enough to admit when i'm wrong which is good because it happens quite often uh and this is one of those times dallin please for my listeners how does one correctly say the the first name of our 28 year old fly half from uh Fakatane. and by the way at least i looked that up and discovered it's not wakatane it's Fakatane. yes you did brilliantly there that's better than me on that see there we go so uh, it's bodine it's bodine waka bodine and i know you were you were critical on on the thing but you've got bowden bowden uh, uh barrett who of course plays for new zealand but his name doesn't have the i in later in in the spelling of it so it's yes. a slight little change and and listen one thing too which i, I will say we've got some good feedback too is asking the players to um, record the, a voice note of them saying their names. Oh. And that's really helpful for the broadcast. Some players do it, some players don't, which is tough. Because mm. again, we want to say the right name. We don't want to get somebody's name incorrectly. Yeah, yeah. But again, it, you can't assume. You absolutely can't assume how to say someone's name because I've had s situations where someone's name looks like, oh, this should be, oh, a good one. Here, give, give you an example here. The Canadian international, um, his real name is, uh, you know, Giuseppe de Tui. He's from South Africa, although he's been he spent a lot of time in French uh, Canada. So now he goes used to go by uh, uh, Giuseppe de Trois, and I'm like Giuseppe de Trois. How do you get the Trois to that? But it's a oh, French way to say it. Yeah, and yeah. Then only only last week or a few weeks ago for this new season, uh, did he say he's going to revert back to his South African way of saying the name de Tui. So oh. anyway, so you see, what I'm saying so it's, you need to know about the players because yeah, again, yeah. you know, maybe he maybe he was embarrassed about his 
African heritage. Who knows? And our South African players have been really well. And MLR is like, I'm going to go back to that. Back to that. Well, well <laughs> you, you'll like this too, because there are still some commentators internationally who will say Stephen Steph de Troy and some others yes. who will say yes. Steph, Steph, Steph de Troy. Exa- well, exactly. no, again, no, 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 that, no that's harder, like uh, Kutsia or Kutsu. The, the, uh, there's Kheri uh, Labaskakhni. Uh, that's probably one of the harder names. Hanko uh, Khamaseis. Now, again, because I'm from South Africa, I know how to say those names. If you're a commentator that's, you know, not from from a, from that or, or, uh, country of origin, it'd be harder to say it. Like, you know, the Fijian names and Polynesian names are very tough for us English speakers to say. But again, if you phonetically write them out, you're able to get them, you know, closer if you can. I, I have, by the way, you asked me about prep. So this week I'm prepping also for the Vancouver Sevens. Sure. So I messaged my, my friend who I played Sevens with, a, a Fijian guy. And he's messi- and he's voice noted the Fijian names. I've got my Samoan friend, my French friend. So I go to you know to the the native speakers and try hear how they said, and then I try emulate that to the best of my ability. Well, you, I, I feel like you'll get a kick out of this too. So, at one point, you know, two or three years ago, I'm watching a match, and Lou Diaga was playing, and yeah. uh, love him as a player. He's incredible. I had, I was sure I had seen him playing for the Springboks, but this must have been a, a sale game or some sort of, you know, English game. And, and they kept saying, Ludiaga, Ludiaga. And they kept saying, Oh, Ludiaga gets the ball. And I was like, Ludiaga, Ludiaga. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds Italian to me. And I could have sworn this guy played for the Springboks. There's no way he's Italian. So I, I, I literally Googled Ludiaga rugby player. And Google knew it was like, did you mean Lude de Yaga? <laughs> there we go. It's like, wow, See? they knew. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's tough. It's tough to keep keep track. That's for sure. Particularly when you're covering a league, it has, you know, 400 names or whatever it is in it. Yeah. Well, I, I was watching some Curry Cup this week and I was like, oh, I am way behind on these names, boy. <laughs> yeah. So tough. <laughs> uh, well, Dallin. Thank you for so being, being so kind about my incredible blunders about Bodine Dwaka's name. Uh, I was very lucky uh, when I that day when I showed up and actually randomly met you. I had gone to the training facility, got to shake his hand. It was a, a great moment for me as a fan. And I, I made the right choice. I said, Mr. Waka, I'm a big fan. <laughs> That's great. See, just in case you I know, otherwise, otherwise you, you know, you may get it wrong. But now you know, which is great. And uh, uh, we can have a laugh about it at least. Well, as, as an English teacher, the fact that you were like, by the way, there's an I in that name and not in this other name. Ooh, that was a. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did, I, you know what I did? I did come across your, your tweet every now and again. I'm like, why are you putting it in, in apostrophes, Bodine, written out like that? I'm like, that's his name. Why, what's, what's so funny about it? But yeah, now it sounds, I understand. Bodine yeah. sounds like such an American yeah. name. I'm like, is yeah, he a yeah. middle linebacker, a 19 year old <laughs> middle linebacker from UT El Paso? Like, <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> Well, my friend, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate all the extra time you've given me today. It's been even better than I could have imagined talking to you. You are one of a kind. We're very lucky to have you here. Thank you for spending your time on the Scrum of the Earth. Uh, Is there anything you need to, I mean, probably not, but is there something you want to plug or mention that we haven't covered before you go? No, I think it's all great. Um, I do have that podcast. I said the Rugby Hive. People can follow there. We've got some interesting stories coming up. We just interviewed Gary Tuwai from the Sevens World Series. Uh, and we had Ben Gollings on there as well. So a lot of sevens focus, but we'll definitely get uh, one of the free jacks on one of the shows at some point. Maybe we'll get Bodine Walker. Who knows? Uh, he's a man of few words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's tough to track down. Is, is sevens the gateway rugby? Is sevens yeah, the way to get... I- 
I, I do. I do believe it. I also believe it's the quickest way for us in America, as you said, to really have rugby seen as a, you know, a prime sport. And so when the US men or women medal at the next Olympic Games, it will unlock a lot more funding and mm. a lot more access to players as well. Um, sevens is definitely the way it's, it's, it's a lot, a lot easier to pick up a rugby ball and play sevens. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of USA national team players that are legends in the series now that didn't know rugby and within seven months they're playing for the USA. So I do think is the gateway. And then once you discover sevens and love rugby, then there's 15s, which is always going to be there. Sure. And you, uh, I'm sorry, I, I just said I'd let you go, but you, you mentioned that you had worked in Glendale in Colorado, and there's this new program now trying to get sort of reclaim athletes who've been doing gridiron football, have been doing American football, and who maybe know they're not going to be, become, they're not going to go to the NFL, and there's something else for them. Um, do you see that program being productive and helpful for us? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I used to go there all the time and, and commentate the Raptors when they played in major league rugby. Right. And I go there, I go there a lot and do the rugby town sevens and a bunch of other, you know, events they put on there and they're great people. And they, they were the, you know, one of the very early builders, investors in rugby and uh, built that rugby specific stadium in yeah. 2007. So it was really great. But yes, the American Raptors is what they're now called. They were called the Colorado Exos before that. Right. Uh, they are doing a brilliant job uh, that side. They're, they're coaching, their coaching crew, by the way, are all crossover athletes as well that have either played international for the USA. Uh, yeah, I think they've got five five Eagles involved there now. And it's really exciting to see because no other program is doing that. So the fact that they're willing to invest the resources uh, and, and time and energy and effort into converting brilliant athletes into rugby athletes uh, and they're seeing the, the fruits of the labor too david still who didn't know rugby after seven months represented the usa seven side um at the vancouver sevens uh, last year and so the fact that you know the fact that he can do that no a bunch of other players can and will be signed with major league rugby teams over the course you know over the next year or two and so that's oh. i really I, I think it's so great because the goal is for them to play at a higher level, obviously. And so the Raptors kind of like get them prepped in the game of rugby. They go on a couple of tours, they, they play a bunch of opposition. And then if they can sign with the MLR team or go play internationally, then that's, they've achieved their goal. Is it true that the biggest problem is getting people who have played American football their whole lives to unlearn things that in order to get good at rugby? Is, is that the key? I would imagine that is tough. And you know, the interesting thing is a lot of these players are not all from American football backgrounds. So I'm just looking at some of their bios, mm. all sorts of sports, which I think is really great. I know that, you know, a lot of good wrestlers make good rugby players. Oh. Um, and, and for, you know, because they're used to that kind of contact and the, the physicality and that sort of kind of nature. I would think, hockey, yeah. I would think hockey has to have some hockey as well. You're absolutely right. Hockey for sure. Um, and the thing about unlearning, you, you, you're so right. If you also, I also think if you played under the defense, def defensive side in in, a fo in football it's very hard to now have the coordination skills to be able to quickly catch and pass that's mm. one thing i know when i coached you know young college kids who are transitioning from football to rugby it, that was very tough number one understanding that they that they shouldn't run ahead of the ball which happened obviously all the time you have to be behind the ball there's a very you know tough concept to drill in yeah. and then then also like have your hands ready because you're going to catch and you're going to run and you're going to be a, you have to be able to pass every now and again so you're right that, that is very tough but i think the great thing about this program is they've handpicked certain players that you know have the mental strength they've speak they speak to their coaches as well these are not just brilliant athletes but they're able to you know take in new information and make it work in this new sport that's fantastic oh Dallin, this has been just magical. I'm so lucky to have you here on the Scrum of the Earth. Um, I'm so glad I just ran into you that day. We got to shake hands and 
and that started this whole thing. And now I've had this incredible conversation. I feel like I've learned so much and uh, we're so lucky to have you here with us. And I, I just can't wait to keep, you know, when I see you at the games, that'll be great. And when I'm watching you on the comms, that's also going to be great. It just, I just can't wait. It was brilliant. We met and I'll, I'll be pitch side working pitch side this weekend. So we'll see you there. You will. And I'll again, be there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for all you do. And this is a great thing. Having people like you in the community advocate for the sport of rugby and, you know, all the different brilliant things that it brings along with its values uh, is so great. So appreciate you having me on. Well, we're working on our unicorn outfits right now. <laughs> brilliant. Can't wait to see you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my friend. I will talk to you very soon. Can't wait to see you this weekend at Fort Quincy. Awesome. Cheers, buddy. Thank you, my friend. Thank you.